When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. D-O-I in apostrophe. I-T-W-I-T. H-D-A-N-N-Y and J-E-N-N-Y. Time I hear it, I find something new. It's like uh, Radiohead's Paranoid Android, you know. <laughs> I feel like it's like when I watch Airplane, I always catch something new. Yeah, no, it's complex. Thank you, Eli Braden, for taking time yes, out. Yes, big busy. thanks to Eli Braden for taking time out of his busy schedule of writing songs about Robin's titties. Robin Quiver's titties. <laughs> and uh, to lend his talents to us. And uh, look, sometimes we'll do a little riff at the beginning of a show because, you know, frankly, we know the guest can't carry it and you know who i'm talking to uh um i don't think we have that problem this week do we jay i feel like i feel like we're cool this week yeah i think think we hit a home run this week yeah i mean when you have uh you know military royalty yes roastmaster general right here Yeah. yeah like as far as i'm concerned that's royalty to me that's my royal i don't give a shit about the queen prince harry we have Jeff Ross. We have the we have Jeff Ross. fucking general. Everybody give it up. The Prince Everyone. Philip of comedy. <laughs> Long live Prince Philip. Rest, rest in power. Okay, Jeff, we're super excited. Out of the gate, I just have to ask you, did you close the deal with B. Arthur? Um, the best sex of my fucking life. <laughs> That's what I wanted to <laughs> And... Um, you know, she'd always be coy around me. And then one day after the Pam Anderson roast, we just talked in the green room and that was, it. you know, the truth is um, I had that famous joke. Uh, I wouldn't fuck you would be Arthur's dick. And like, I'd been hearing about it for a year. It was like, I was like the early in my career, like 1999, it kind of made me the roast guy. Yeah. And then I was like, boy, I bet B. Arthur's, she must be getting asked about it. If I'm getting asked about it, she must get asked about it. I wonder how she feels about it. I didn't really know her. So I, I bought myself one ticket to her one person show in Beverly Hills. I waited out the whole uh, uh, audience of well-wishers afterwards. And she was great. She sang and made jokes barefoot, which is an amazing cabaret <laughs> performer. And, and, and I got to the uh, end of the line. I brought roses. <laughs> like a gentleman. All right. <laughs> and I said, Miss Arthur, I don't know if you remember me, but we met at Jerry Stiller's roast. And, and she said, and you nailed me, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty great. And yeah. I loved her. She was so, you know, anybody I ever met who worked with her said she made everything funnier. Yeah. I mean, and that like that Pam Anderson roast, I must have watched it a million times. And 
I mean, I could tell you, like, you walking out with a fur, a, like a floor length fur coat. Fur coat. Was the pan- <laughs> and then say, no, you know, it's it's 100% puppy. And then you're like, no, we shaved B. Arthur's back. And she, <laughs> the, the camera cut to her and she just, you see her mouth like, I'm going to get you. And you're like, no, nah, I love you, babe. Love you. Love yeah. you. <laughs> I was such a fucking sport. Thanks, like, such a sport. Yeah, it was great. Man, um, you remember it so well. Like the original joke I made about her, and like you know, over twenty years ago, like it was okay. It was really Sandra Bernhardt's joke. She had just sort of done this really awkward lap dance for Jerry Stiller in front of his <laughs> kids and his wife and all their friends. It was like you know, and it was funny, but there was a little. You know, I don't know what you would call awkward tension. Yeah. That's when I went up next, and I didn't know what the joke would be. I just had wrote B. Arthur's dick in the margin of my script <laughs> during like you know dinner. You know, and uh, boom, I just said Sandra Bernhard. Holy shit, I wouldn't fuck you with B. Arthur's dick. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, I don't know if it was that time. We did because the Drew Carey roast was prior to that, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes. But hold but, on. Here's what. I, here's the point I want to make, Danny. You'll appreciate. Like the joke, we're all comedy writers. The joke's okay. Yeah, made it a home run. Was her, she, her reaction made it hilarious. Completely. Like yeah. she, the slow burn and like the pointing, yeah. like you know, the Darth Vader <laughs> of it all is what really made it memorable. So it just shows you, you know, if you're a good sport, you can make magic. Oh, I- Absolutely. And she did that basically. I think what you're right, because that reaction that she killed, like the way that Jack Benny would kill with a reaction or, yeah. or, or something like that. And it, and yeah, she was looking at you the way she used to look at, uh, you know, Betty White in the Golden Room. Yeah. It. <laughs> it it's just fantastic. Because the joke, you were talking about the, um, the, you know, the joke that that, because that was obviously a really famous joke. The joke that I remember people talking about all the time was in the Drew Carey Rose. And it's just such a brilliant, and I think this is a brilliant joke. Like just, it was um, Drew, um, um, Drew Carey is to comedy, what Mariah Carey is to comedy. <laughs> and, and, and I swear to God, like, I, I mean, I, for, I was in a writer's room at some point when that, when that hit. And we like, like <laughs> all of us fell on the floor laughing when we heard that joke. It was, it was just so good. so happy when you make, the comics, the writers, the funny people laugh. Like yeah. that's the greatest compliment. And here's the thing, like that was the first, you know, Comedy Central roast was the yeah. Jerry roast. And I'd been doing the roast for two or three years in New York at the Friars Club, not on TV. And I was like, man, this is tough. Like, you know, I want everyone to see this. This is so cool. And I talked to Comedy Central, Drew Carey and his manager and the Friars Club in the meeting. I didn't know I could produce things back then. So I let them all handle it. I stepped away and said, just let me be on the show. And um, the Friars Club in 1997 didn't know who, even though Drew Carey had the number one sitcom at the time, they didn't know who he was. So I had to go to the newsstand and buy a fucking TV guide. He was on the cover. (laughs) The Friars Club's like, where's Jack Benny? Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what they were doing. And and, and, you know, of course, Drew Carey saw the light in it. And he said, he, loved, he said okay, I'll do it. But you have to book um, 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 Kippadada. Oh, who? Kip, oh, Kippadada. Kippadada. Of <laughs> so course, funny. I can remember Kip. It's like the hardest name, but it's like <laughs> Kippadada. And that was Drew's, like, he, that was his homage to his history and somebody that he liked when he was starting out. So 
you know, there is always this tradition of old. It took me, and, and all the young, all the old guys at the fires were mad at me for bringing cameras in. You're like, you ruined it. You know, <laughs> nobody wants to hear Milton Berle say their dirty words. You know, he does. But but we can't they, say they, the N word anymore. Come on, guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, and um, in the end, it took me like 25 years to realize why they didn't want to ruin their amazing thing. <laughs> I was like, okay, they did something special. They were having fun and I kind of fucked it up by making it popular, but um, yeah. No, I mean, you brought it to like the mainstream. I mean, it was something that was so secretive and all of a sudden we were able to, you know, they and they start teasing those roasts on Comedy Central, like they shoot them and then a year later you finally see them. I feel like they would tease the roast for about a year. Yeah. Every one of them that you've done, like, I love them. I, I cannot get enough of watching them. I try to write jokes for them while I'm watching. Like I get nope. super excited. What what was one like? What was your favorite one? Who was your favorite person that you wrote? You know, I get this question, and, and also I want to know the worst. Huh? I want to know the worst one too. The honest truth is, and I know it sounds like shtick, but my favorite one is whoever's next. Yeah. It's like yeah, I do them. I'm like. I got the muscle working. I'm in roast shape. I lost six pounds, so they wouldn't call me fat, like in my head. And like, I like the roast itself is fun, but the buildup, the writing the jokes, the trying them out on my friends, buying a new suit, doing the press. Like, I love the process. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I foam at the mouth waiting for the next victim. But I, I, as far as like on the night. I always look fondly back at the Flavor Flav roast because <laughs> yeah, so God, good. Was, it was so bananas. That was so funny. My opening joke was, how, I, I, how do you roast a crackhead who wears a Viking helmet? <laughs> I was looking at some of the jokes the other day. One of my favorite, because I don't remember the jokes unless people tell them to me or remind me because I'm always on to the next one. But it was like, um, you know, about people, I go, when what, you know, he had that flavor of love show where he right. 20 women, I said, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I said, uh, when white people uh, watch your show, they go, this guy's funny. When black people watch your show, they go, I hope there's no white people watching. <laughs> <laughs> they flave, you, you set African-Americans back uh, 200 years, <laughs> you sent Viking-Americans back 750 years. And I said, don't worry, I'm not going to get racial. The fact that his name is black is like the fifth thing that's wrong with him. <laughs> that was, that uh, was my favorite joke I remember. And the reason, the reason it resonated, I think, and you know, you asked about why it's my favorite, besides yeah. the fact that Flav is kicking his feet out yeah. with sheer delight and joy the whole time, is because it was coming off the heels of a racially tense time with comedy. Michael Richards had just gone berserk at the Laugh yeah. Factory and yeah. And basically quit comedy or got kicked out of whatever. And it really bothered me because he wasn't really a comic. He was an actor acting yeah. like yeah. a comic. And I said, let's see what happens if you put, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and Seth MacFarlane, let's throw some uh, professionals uh, in together and use it as a something that brings people together. And suddenly these racial jokes, they, they, they were healing, not, not, not hostile. They always are. That's what people don't understand. It's like when you can fucking joke about this shit, you demystify it, you make it accessible. You know, I was watching, um, I saw this a while ago. I saw it on YouTube, which I wasn't aware of, but I think it was your, the roast of Kenny Smith. When, <laughs> am, I, am I right from, uh, um, 
and oh, and yeah, yeah, I yeah but, but I think it was for Kenny Smith. But your, I mean, I, I guess this will lead to the question. Oh, no, the big question is like, hang on, he just left. Oh, <laughs> and the door was open. Oh, my big question, which I'm leading up to, is: Are you ever afraid when you're going up there? With like, you know what you're about to say. Um, I know you get the prison show, which I want to talk about. But like, yeah, you're at this. You're the only white guy there, basically, on the on that day is doing it, and you make a Shaq knuckle dragging joke, which is so fucking funny, and Shaq loves it. I mean, all of those jokes, you didn't hold back at all. And if you, what you could see was every single person in that room fucking appreciated it. Yeah. Like every single person loved it. Cause you weren't like, you know. I, I feel like no one loves being made fun of more than Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> he gets so excited when he, like somebody said, like he's wiping tears. He loves being made fun of. Here's the Shaq story. Please. I'll go back to that early roast I did. I didn't have the rep yet, you know? I was young, 2001. Uh -huh. It was like an, a few months before 9-11. Mm -hmm. I get invited to Vegas to do something for the Shack Something Foundation, mm -hmm. charity thing. So we're not getting paid. And, you know, and I knew the letter was from Shaq because it was spelled S-H-A-C-K or something. I had <laughs> <laughs> and, and I get there, and I'm kind of nervous because, like you say, I'm the only white guy there on the show, and it's it's a little out of my normal showbiz thing. It's all athletes. Yeah, we're re we're really roasting Emmett Smith, and Shaq is like the 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 producer, and Jamie Foxx is doing it, and the Tory brothers are doing it, and Monique is doing it, and and. I say to Shaq at rehearsal, I introduce myself. And first of all, you shake his hand <laughs> and your head, your hand is here, but you're looking straight up in the air. And he's like, you're gonna leave me hanging dog? Like my <laughs> head was this way. I couldn't see that he had extended his hand to <laughs> Like it's just it's six feet between his hand and his eyes. <laughs> and I, I meet him and I go, Shaq, you know, I, I'm, I, I've, I've roasted a lot, but I haven't roasted athletes before. My my jokes are pretty pointed. Um, you think Emmett and I'm really asking him if he's going to be okay. But I said, yeah, yeah. you think Emmett and the other guys are going to be okay if I go full roast mode? And Shaq, who I didn't know at the time, said, "Hey man, no one ever asked me to hold back on a basketball court. I would never, <laughs> you know, hold back on oh. your court." And I thought that was the mark of a champion. Yeah, he was like, shatter the backboard, Jeff. Shatter that shit. <laughs> Not only did, you know was it generous, but it really gave me the license to kill that night and, yeah. and without fear of repercussions. And even though I didn't get paid, um, Shaq called me over to the craps table after the show. <laughs> They were playing, I walked to the casino, I see like 30 people crowded around a craps table and I had no money. So I, you know, but I saw Shaq winning, 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 playing craps. So I said, oh, I'm, this is, if my dad was alive to see this, this would yeah. be it's like a real Rat Pack moment in Vegas, like freaking Shaquille O'Neal towering over a craps table. So I, uh, I pulled out a hundred bucks and I said to the pit boss, like, just cover all Shaq's bets for like two dollars you know like I want to I want to win if Shaq win I want to be on Shaq's team yeah. and 30 minutes later I'm, I, I had two thousand dollars so I'm like 
yes. That's amazing. That was a good investment. That's what you yeah. thought. <laughs> Fun stories. I don't think I've told that one. That That's did, did, did the dice in his hands look like Tylenol? I mean, like how small? Uh, Shaq, <laughs> I don't even know how they, they found the dice in his hand. <laughs> and since then, I've done a bunch of roasts with Shaq, and he really is a class act, and, and he's yeah, funny he, on his own right. No, he is. I just heard him on... Um, I heard him on Kimmel. I'm not a Kimmel on um, uh, the Conan podcast. And he, he was a great interview. It was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, he's, I love watching him and like Charles Barkley on uh, TNT. <laughs> they don't give a shit. They genuinely could give a shit. They're so entertaining. Who was someone? It was the uh, Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley and Shaq at All Star Weekend. Oh, God. That last good. year, right before the lockdown. That's where all the ball players. Um, saw each other basically for the last time before they all got COVID or whatever. And um, I, that was really fun. Charles Barkley, I said something like, you look like the type of guy who puts his whole mouth around the, the uh, water fountain. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack was dying laughing and the whole thing was great, man. Those, the, those, those um, inside the NBA guys have a great sense of humor. Oh, they're they really that's why it's so successful because you can like, you want to be at that party. Like yeah. you feel like this is like, Oh, I want to be list. I want to be on the couch around them as they're giving each other shit. Exactly. That's what it feels like. Exactly. Um, to, to, to the, uh, so I'm going to double down now on my, you're afraid question. And are you ever afraid? You know, people talk about like doing like, I hate when people talk about a performance that's brave. It's like because <laughs> somebody pretended to have AIDS or act, didn't uh, wear makeup or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that was so brave. But like, <laughs> I would suggest that doing stand-up comedy in a prison feels brave <laughs> and confronting in a funny way the fucking Nazis there and your six million <laughs> joke, which is so fucking like all of the, like were you afraid in that scenario, like or no, or did you feel Danny, so? Brave? Danny, I'm still afraid of those fucking guys. <laughs> They're all on parole. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, can I just say like a sidebar, like a fun fact about this one? I watched your special and I'm like, I, you know, I was so excited to see it. It was like a Johnny Cash moment. You know, you're going in the prison, you're going to watch. And then I'm sitting there going, wait, that prison is 30 miles from where I grew up, my hometown. Oh, Brazos County Jail. Brazos County. There is a mall in Lake Jackson, which is the town right there. We would have to drive past that prison. And every time my Ooh. sister and I would be in the car, my mom would be going and then you see all the fields that they would have to work in because it wasn't like a hardened prison there weren't like hardcore oh there were here's what it was but my mom always would stop where at the sign that said don't pick up hitchhikers and she would <laughs> kind of push my sister right out of the car <laughs> 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 like, like that's so tattooed in my head and then there you were performing for him i'm like that's fucking hysterical you know Brazos county the interesting thing, and a credit to your old neighborhood there, Jenny, is we wrote to hundreds of jails and prisons all over the country. And Brazos County Jail, at the time, Wayne Dickey was the jail administrator. He's now the sheriff of that county. Um, he had the foresight. He was uh, president or, 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 or high up in the uh, uh, American jail, you know, the the... the yeah, the 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 yeah the, 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 uh, yeah, the correction. Their, their organization, yeah. and he understood. Even though they, you know, it's Texas, and they take jailing very seriously, he understood the benefits of me coming in. And his only stipulation was that 
I wouldn't come right away. That he 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 delayed a month so that people he could use that to get good behavior out of his inmate. Oh, smart. <laughs> Use me as a carrot to get good behavior. That's amazing. And, That's actually yeah. really smart to do though. And so anybody, so imagine the people who couldn't get into the show. And it, it's, it was a jail, not a prison. So 90% of the people in there are probably coming out someday. Yeah. So I have gotten Instagram messages from the Nazis going, you know, what's up, motherfucker? Like half kidding, half serious. That they're coming for me. So I I, I, I try not to uh, I, uh, provoke anybody. Um, and I am a, a all about forgiveness and second chances. So hopefully, um, if you look at some of the footage of when I'm speed roasting these, yeah. these, these inmates uh, on stage, you can see me trembling. Like, <laughs> and it's not even because I'm afraid of their reaction. I in the moment, it's I know what my next joke is. Of course, <laughs> you know what you know what's coming, and you're it, like, oh. me it didn't read like they were trembling. It, to me, you look like a sniper reloading. So that's why I was asking, like, I, like I, it was like I knew, like, okay, he knows what he's gonna fucking do here. A sniper reloading. That, that's that's what it, that's what it felt like. And I mean, now they're out of prison, and I mean, at least then they didn't have like a, a, a you know an active political party that had in the country, you know, as we do now. Now they're just you know. Now they're just the base, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh yeah, that was. I mean, I I found that to be amazing. I, 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 I love. I, I think about that show all the time, um, and it, it sort of fueled me working more on um, prison reform and uh, you know sentence reform and stuff like that. Obviously, you can't get access to a prison to do a show very often, yeah. but what I can do is is you know uh my the, work with the first step act and and cut 50 and reform these organizations van jones has one yeah uh, that helps people non-violent drug offenders get the fuck out of jail and people go well you know and i went i you know i was invited down to the white house at one point during the last administration and you know by van jones and trump yeah. And I go down there and a lot of my friends were saying, how could you give Trump a win? Why would you go down there? I go, you know, it's not that big a win for him, but if you're in jail, <laughs> you get out and you're, you shouldn't be there. You're there for something that's probably legal now. Like we- yeah. And yeah. you weren't helping Trump, you were helping the inmates. <laughs> give a flying fuck who the president is if you got a 25 year sentence for selling weed in the eighties or whatever. Yeah. So. You know, uh, I did learn a lot. I didn't go to Brazos County Jail to like make a point. I went there because I thought it'd be funny to make fun of guys in orange jumpsuits. But while I was there and researching the act and meeting the women that were incarcerated, and I learned so much that it, it made me sort of, uh, I don't know, it changed me in that way. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing what happens like when you meet somebody. Like when you, it's like when when people aren't part of the other or any group, and you're just there and say, "Oh, you're just a human being. You are, you know, you're a violent human being with a lot of swastikas all over you, but you're still a human <laughs> being." I get it. But, you know, one yeah. thing when I was researching, you know, how to perform in a jail, you know, there's a lot of rules. And <laughs> is, that a, is that a YouTube video? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, was oh, there a book? Did Johnny Cash just write like? I called. There is. There's no book, and a lot of it I didn't learn until I was on the job. But ahead of time, I talked to some prison reform advocates. And the first thing they did was correct me. Say, when you're there, don't say inmates, don't say prisoners. 
say people that are locked up, people that are incarcerated, and as soon as you humanize them, yeah. um, not only is it better for the world and better for them, but it's funnier too. Like you know, yeah. well, just like us, and they made them vulnerable. And and you know, yeah. my way in with it, if you can laugh at yourself, you're one step closer to freedom. You know, yeah, yeah. mental freedom or physical freedom, and and you know, people look at that 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 show and go, oh, you were brave to do that. And I go, fuck yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, good. I, I, I had a big Jufro. I had to shave it before I went in there. I didn't want to look like their fucking lawyer. They no, you, yeah, you don't want to look like Nazi propaganda cartoons walking into there, you know? Like off camera, how many how many guns were pointed? Like, did you feel safe? Were there like crazy? That's the other part, Jenny, there's no freaking guns inside. They have at most like tasers because you put 20 guards in a room with 500, some of them violent inmates. You know, we had a um, right, security yeah. meeting beforehand. And I said, well, where are the violent criminals? <laughs> and the way the room was structured, you know, my stage, and then there was a, there was a balcony where people were hanging over. It looked real uh, full in there. And normally there's only about 25, 30 people per dorm. But to do a show, they had to bring in the whole jail. So... Uh, I said, well, where are the violent people? They'll be up in the balcony, I suppose. And they said, no, they're going to be right in front. <laughs> and I said, why? I thought they were kidding. I thought the, yeah. the, the administrator was kidding. And he said, no, they have to be right in front because... Good laughers? <laughs> <laughs> it's like putting your parents in the front row. Oh, my God. Really, <laughs> the reason was the way the dorm was built, if they caused a problem they would be the closest to be removed by the door. Oh. In other words, I could get pulled out quick and they could get pulled out quick. If they were in the back in the rafters, by the time the guards got there, there'd be total mayhem, um, you know, trying to get them out. They'd have to bring them through hundreds of guys. So, and I still didn't believe it. So that's why if you watch the show, I walk out uh, I, and I go, where are my murderers at? And, <laughs> Just really testing <laughs> if they were fucking with me or not. And of course, three guys in the first two rows go, right the fuck here, dude. I heard it's on Paramount Plus now, if anybody wants to watch Jeff Ross Roast Criminals. We're going to put all these links on, but you definitely have to put watch that. It's great. Yeah. If you haven't that seen was it, something that I, yeah, I just, I had so much respect for <laughs> for you actually going to a prison where I feel like most people are like, hey, I did a show in, you know, two nights in Philly, and that was the scariest show they did. <laughs> you know, like, Although to really, to really go back to, to, to Danny's question, the most scared I ever was, was uh, roasting Mike Tyson at the Charlie Sheen. <laughs> that was much more scary. That makes sense. <laughs> you know. Also, he was a great laugher. He seemed to enjoy but, being roasted. But I remember I thinking and then saying, you know, like with his tattoos, like, you know, I'm not gonna go too hard on you, Mike, because if you want to do that to your face, imagine what you would do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I wanna well, that was also by the way, was that the rose that you pretty much saved the situation? No, that was the Trump roast. That was the Trump roast where he just died and i heard in the room it was even worse 2011 um yeah, the, mike the situation from jersey shore yeah 
Did I you mean, see this one? I don't know how much you remember about that. This one I don't remember as much because I, 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 I remember wrote, I have an aversion to Trump, so I probably watched it with half an eye. But tell me no, what happened. I remember, I remember they put a ban on your computer, Danny. You weren't allowed to watch <laughs> I did. I was, yes, I've been. But what happened was, and I was a producer on that show, and, you know, we wanted to bring in, like, you know, relevant, fun names, um, not just for the press, but because you want good targets up there. Yeah, fodder. Yeah. And we're literally thinking, like, Trump, like, hair jokes, a couple, of the, like, yeah. how, much, how much can you do? So, so let's get the situation and Larry King and some <laughs> other people that we can roast to make fun of. Yeah. So that, and, and, of course... The show's going well, um, but it's not going great. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump's kind of stiff with the laughs. You know, he's enjoying it, but he doesn't let people know that. He wants to play like yeah. villain. And the situation goes on. And we wrote him a really self-aware, funny speech, the, the, the writers did. And the, the, the Jersey Shore, Mike's situation, and Snooky and all them, that, that was all... Oh, shit. I lost my Zoom for a second. Oh. oh are you back? Oh, here it is. Yeah. Um, you wrote, uh, a good, uh, you wrote uh, this, the situation. Like, uh, I'm sure you guys, I know the work you guys do. And you wrote him a great you, yeah. you guys have produced enough TV to know you want everyone to kill. Of course. Oh, yeah. you don't book people to bomb. Of course. Right. You know how hard it is to book the next year if somebody bombs on... So... <laughs> We write this great speech. He's the number one TV star in the whole world right now, him and Snooky. And right before he goes on, he says to Snoop, and I only heard this afterwards from him, but he says to Snoop, like, I'm nervous, like, about reading the teleprompter. (laughs) Just about reading, maybe that was. (laughs) Snoop says, well, read, wear your sunglasses and no one can see you read the teleprompter. Here's another story I don't think I've told. Oh, my God. So the situation puts his sunglasses on. Now, there's nothing douchier than wearing sunglasses. Only Snoop is like one of three people in history yeah. that can wear like sunglasses. This, yeah. Right? Like most yeah. people <laughs> put sunglasses on, they are no longer funny. Right? Right. Right, you, you know, Gilbert Gottfried can't even be funny with sunglasses. <laughs> so, so now you got the situation just being douchey, yeah, trying to do the, like sarcasm, which doesn't play when you're wearing like none of it worked. And the crowds, it's a New York crowd, it was our first New York rose because Trump wanted it in New York. So now they're a little, they're not like a paid LA Hollywood crowd, yeah, yeah. they're like real New York comedy fans. And he starts to tank. Then another joke tanks. Then another, and I turn over and I'm a producer now. By, by now I'm a, a, a bigger producer on the show. And, and I haven't gone on yet. And Jezelneck is waiting to go <laughs> for his very first roast. And Amy Schumer. And it's like, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want these people to deal with a fucking shit show rodeo. Yeah. Like if someone doesn't shut these hecklers up yeah. like this is going to really go off the rails because yeah. situation might not be funny but he's a big star wait till the newbies get up here they're going to yeah. eat him alive i've been that newbie yeah i want the crowd revved and ready yeah. and 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 i went i just said you know what fuck it the director's probably going to kill me joel 
and I'm just going to go up there and put my arm around this fucking guy and try to get him off. (laughs) (laughs) It was the kindest thing I've ever seen a comic do for someone tanking that bad. Like you, you lifted your shirt up, like, like made a joke and you're like, Oh, Hey buddy, come on. He's trying. Like he was, you were so nice to him and he had been such a douche the whole time with the sunglasses and like doing that thing where he was trying to make the crowd think they were fucked up when that New York crowd was like, I don't think so, Scooter. Always, always a good happen. strategy. Yeah. Improvise, you know, I pulled my, because that was his thing, he'd pull up, show his app and say it's a yeah, I know. Yeah. So I pulled my shirt up and said it's a saturation. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. And that's you know, got a big great. laugh. Thanks, Danny. It got a big <laughs> laugh. And of course, oh, good. this fucking guy doesn't have the wherewithal to just say goodnight. He's going. <laughs> He was like, great, now it's a duo, cool. Yeah, so now people think, uh, you know, it was even worse. But, you know, I saw him afterwards and he he had a beautiful innocence about it saying like, hey man, I, 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 I pulled it off. I was out of my comfort zone. I did something. I was like, man, I wish I could... I wish I could be that positive all the time when I fucking bomb. But I I mean, the confidence of a mediocre man is like, it's like there's nothing. It's like misplaced confidence. Like clearly they're not Jews. Um, (laughs) uh, It's like so. It's it it doesn't exist. I was thinking because the way you wrote, like I one, the only roast I attended of those roasts was I saw the Bob Saget one. Um, uh, which was, which is, I thought it was a fantastic roast, but I was trying to remember like who, because I know she didn't write it, but I was, I, this is this joke is just so goddamn funny. It was one that just like stuck with me that you gave to Cloris Leachman because she had been everybody had been talking about. It was like it was <laughs> relentless on Cloris. She gets up, she looks at the looks at all the people, and she goes, "Oh my god, look at this dais! Somebody punch me in the face so I can see stars." <laughs> And it sounded to me like a Jeff Ross joke, but I don't know. I, I, don't uh, know. I can't take credit for that one, Danny. Well, oh. our capable, uh, I don't know who the head writer was on that year, but um, the, the roots have become a real farm team for TV writing and, and, and performer, you know. Well, they um, made people's careers. I mean, Anthony Jeselnik and Whitney Cummings were both came out of the writer's room at those rows. And but even other Amy writers, Schumer, like, like she kind of had a big break on that too. You, you, you I remember I, I saw you, I think at a party one time and I was giving you credit because I, I noticed like, uh, I know the writer, um, Vanessa Ramos and, and like you were on Stern. He, cr- he cracked up at one of your jokes. I can't remember what it was. And on the Howard Stern show, I call, I call, you go, yeah, that was written by Vanessa Ramos. It's a great joke. And you know, <laughs> A lot of people don't do that, nor are they expected to do that. So the idea that, you, I mean, it's just like, that's like a very menschy thing to fucking do. I always, that, I always thought like, I, I always liked you, but I always thought like, oh, I know I really like him. That's like a really menschy thing. To do. And, you know, and- I, I, I wrote for a lot of people early on. I wrote the, uh, my first real, um, well, I wrote on, on shows, but I remember writing at the Oscars and I, I, I understood, and I still understand that sort of code of like, you're a writer for someone. The illusion is, yeah, they wrote it, and don't be proprietary over your material. And then over time, I was like, I had enough cred, and exactly, and honestly, like, if I'm up there, I'm Tom Brady. I need, I need those, I need yeah. those linemen to protect me. I want, 
the v- Vanessa to come back the next year and know that she's appreciated. Those of course, of course. So, I, I, that's I, why I do it. When I was going to run my first show, a showrunner was like a kind of a class ahead of me and talking about this. And, he, and I, it was a really good advice, although I think I would have done it anyway. He's like, always give everybody credit because it only makes you look good. It not only doesn't diminish from your star power, but the people who think you're a genius won't even believe. Yeah, there's there's nothing to lose by being by being gracious. Uh before we get to what we're watching, I do want to talk about bumping mics because yes. I, I, my, my son and I have watched that through a couple of times. And I just want to know, like, I, I just want to tell you a joke that I, I fucking, I love the spontaneous when you're looking at a tell. I think it might be in the last one where you look like you're dressed like for, you're, you're somebody dressed for a job that nobody wants. <laughs> And he did. He looked like he was working at the worst possible fucking stadium job or something. <laughs> um, uh, uh, it was so. I said that about David Tell. You said yeah. that about David Tell about his yeah, yeah about the way he was dressed and uh, it was just so fucking. And I just love the way you guys because I you know I think Dave is one of the funniest people and 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 certainly think that of you and to just watch you guys play on that stage and to and to fill and it never felt like how did y'all like come up with that sort of thing was it doing shows together or did y'all just i worship david tell i would go watch him you know i live in i'm bi-coastal i'm in la now i have an apartment in new york and inevitably i'd get a i'd land you know whenever i'd go home i'd land nine ten o'clock and you know, you go to you go to Cheers. Where does everyone know your name? You go yeah. over to the Comedy Cellar where they're still open, 10, 11, 12, 1 in the morning. And by the time I got to my apartment, unpacked and took a shower or whatever, oh. you go over to the cellar and there's Dave. He'd always be last. And I didn't want to get my yayas out. I didn't have a spot, but I'd either go on after him or whatever. And eventually I would just be sitting there watching him. And, lo- you know, he always has new material. Yeah. And he would sometimes just start talking to me from the crowd. And one couple of times I just went up on stage and sat next to him at the piano while he went on. And I would just sort of <laughs> laugh and set him up and throw out little jokes here and there until, you know, one time I just stood next to him. And next thing you knew, we were going tit for tat, joke for joke. And, you know, most acts have a have a rifle or a uh, or a uh, musket. Yeah. Yeah. Dave and I together are firing AK-47. Oh. And so you were definitely mass shooting. Yeah. <laughs> Too soon? Uh, <laughs> Never. And, 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 you know, it took a lot to get Dave to commit to, like, going on the road. You know, he doesn't ever want to, you yeah. know, first of all, splitting the money is for two Jewish comics is tough. Yeah. Eventually, we figured out that two, one plus one is three, and um, we were in a band, and we don't always have to be together, but when we are, we know it's special. And, you know, I, I, we play each, off each other well. And he didn't even want to call it bumping mics. He yelled at me for months about it. He said, oh, it's too on the nose. I'm like, you know. He was, he was wrong about that. Yeah. <laughs> it took a while, but eventually he learned to trust me. And, you know, I do most of the producing myself and the bookings when we have guests and, the best way to, to work with Dave is to take the pressure off the, the rehearsals. And he doesn't like to do a lot of blocking just to give him a playground. Yeah. So 
when, when we got Andrew Jarecki to direct Bumping Mics for Netflix. Wait, that's who you got to direct that? Oh yeah, Andrew oh, Jarecki. Shit. From the jinx and shit. From the jinx. Um, wow. You know, he's a good buddy. And for years, I've been hawking him. Like, let's do a, you need to do comedy. It'll take years off, it'll take, add years to your life from yeah. all this fucking murdering, violent shit you do. And yeah. he'd always laugh, but he loves Dave. And him and I are very close, Andrew. So we got we got the cellar, the, the underground there on Third Street to create essentially a playground where we could be anywhere in the room and still cover it. So I get to walk around and find out who's in the crowd and Dave can stay on stage smoking and throwing them out across the room. And we basically did a 360, you know, how some performers were working the round. We worked, yeah. in the, we worked in the room. We worked the whole room. The Cirque de Comedy. <laughs> you know, really, I love uh, it because it's like you're making your own rules. There's no rules to comedy. Like some people think there are, but no, you can have two people bump. Like I like creating something new. I think it's spectacular. It is to his credit because I know how hard that is to get coverage and to keep it spontaneous. And you know, like you're going out to the crowds. And like, there are those moments where you know, we're finding you out there, but it's coming together seamlessly. I mean, between post production and and the directing, that's a you guys. I mean, that's a that was a Herculean task. I think. To make it seem so loose it's just like we really uh, uh yeah i've been watching a lot of that stuff my son's a real comedy nerd and um i, like I, loving it, so. I also knew like there were people in the audience i would never get on stage but i wanted to work like bruce willis there with his wife and friends it's like basically you did the one thing you knew you could get him you said oh here i got you a harmonica and then you're like <laughs> Just dangle right. it in front of him. So that one was like, you know, that afternoon he texts me, I'm coming to the show tonight. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to blow my relationship by embarrassing him or bringing him on stage. But it is my fucking first night of my Netflix series. So yeah. walking into the lion's den. So I ran out to the store and I just bought a harmonica, put it in my back pocket and said, well, if I, <laughs> I, I didn't get a release, I didn't ask him. <laughs> You got the one thing you can't say no to. And it wound up being one of those special moments. And, you know, a minute later, my Aunt Donna is sitting next to him and she's on the show. So (laughs) my Aunt Donna and Bruce Willis on the same episode, you really got something. That's amazing. Uh, uh, Before you get to what we've been watching, uh, anything you coming up that you're excited about? Sort of everything's in limbo, but well, I'm gonna I'm starting to get back out. I'm gonna be in Phoenix um, at CB Live in a couple weeks. Um, it'll be my first indoor, you know, not full capacity, but halfway gig. So I'm psyched about just getting on stage again. And yeah. um, you know, I have to do a podcast called Thick Skin with Jeff Ross. Uh-huh. Um, and here's what I've been saying, you know, just to put a button on the pandemic comedy is going to come back it's going to be bigger than ever music is going to come back it's going to be bigger than ever yeah. close-up magic is never coming back <laughs> so a moment of silence for the magicians out there ta-da. <laughs> Toodaloo, ta-da. Ta-da. <laughs> so we always we always end our show with like figuring out what uh people anything you've been watching that you just fucking love that you i just started something and I know I'm behind the curve, but their new season is great. Um, my lady's got me watching Handmaid's Tale, and it's really intense and really cool. Yeah, I just I just started the fourth 
season. I guess they have like three new episodes I just finished. It's a super intense show, but it's so really well done. Violent shows, they really, you know, but, you know, she finds it oddly, uh, she wants to do Handmaid's Tale role-playing in the bedroom. <laughs> And I can't find a bonnet and red. <laughs> fits me. So. You'll get a raggedy and all. Maybe like she can just take. <laughs> maybe she can just take your eye out. That's where it lost me in the first episode. So it was like I, I, I got. I know I got to get past that because I know it's good. But uh, there's some. Uh, there's some parts of it where I'm like literally with my hand over my face because some of the the super violent gore where yeah. they really show something up close. I. I can't watch that. That's tough, but the storytelling is really well done, and it's the acting and the shooting is, you know, first rate. So that's what I've been watching. How about you, Jen? Uh, I've got into that uh, Mar of Easttown on HBO. Have you seen that, Kate Winslet's? I haven't, but I, I, I mean, I've seen it's really good. It's like a, a super thriller detective thing. It's it's set in Philly, and I got to give Kate Winslet credit for nailing a Philly accent, like. That's yeah. one of the most difficult accents. It, you leave it up to the British girl to fucking nail it. And she nailed it. She nailed it. It's really, it's, but it's a, it's a good show. It's, you know, every Sunday, whatever, murder mystery. What about you, Danny? I haven't watched very much. Oh, you've been, you've been moving. <laughs> I've been moving. So I've been, uh, uh, yeah. So I've been watching instructional videos for how to put together like table. <laughs> Apart from that, no, I, this is not, this has not been a banner week for me in watching stuff, but, uh, well, yeah. well, Jeff, I got to say. Danny, the premise of the bit is what have you been watching? And you, as the host of the show, go, I'm not watching anything. I literally am spacing out on anything <laughs> I've been watching. It is so fucking. Oh, I did watch something that I really I knew did. it. There's no fucking way you didn't watch anything. No, I was going to let I it did. go. Thank you, oh, Jeff, for not letting it go. God damn it. Um, the Mitchells versus the Machines on Netflix. It's uh, animated movie. It's basically if like it, it, you know a family that is not decidedly not superheroes. Like a ter it's like if the Incredibles were terrible people with no powers and had to save the world. And that's sort of what is sort of happening with it. It's called the Mitchell, and it's basically a family that is not getting along and fighting is going to go on a road trip, and then there's a robot apocalypse, and everybody is captured but them, and they have to save the world, and it's such a great brilliant idea it's lord and miller and those guys who did like into the spider verse and they do all that funny stuff oh. really goddamn funny fucking brilliant movie what's it called the mitchells versus the machines i'm, I'm, versus I'm, the I'm gonna watch that on your wreck yeah it's so really like, are they like bad superheroes like the boys on amazon no they're not superheroes they're just oh. people oh they're just people. They're, they're just they're they're, okay. un, they're just people who have their own issues um <laughs> They're weirdos, and, uh, and and you know. So that was mine. Thank you, Jeff, for shaming me into a recommendation because I would have felt Jeff. I was spacing out the whole time. I was hoping when you guys started talking, it would spark me. It didn't, but it did take being berated by one of my comedy idols to pull <laughs> it out of me. So thank you. Um, actually, before we go, Jeff, who's someone right now? Like, who is your like comic that you think everyone should be watching right now? Is there anyone that you're like really like? Hey, this person's yeah. kind of. Yeah, there's a lot of people I could mention, um, but I was doing a pop-up outside show this weekend, and I stopped and sat with my friends to watch Tim Dillon. Oh, uh, yeah. And he really, really made us laugh hard. He was a hit podcast and a really funny comic, still a young yeah. guy. He's um, 
on tour right now and Tinville and really make me is somebody I I would look out for. All right, definitely. And I'm gonna take that recommendation. Yeah. Um we can't thank you enough. We can't. Of course. My pleasure. I'm, <laughs> thank I'm, you. Love both of you guys. Thanks for all your fun questions and yeah, love love, love you back. Love you oh, back. Wait, and, and love the Guantanamo Bay shirt. That's another place I've been that I've been scared. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You work Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> I, it, was, it was the greatest show of my life. Couldn't get off stage. Captive audience. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's your new thing. Maybe next time it's like a, a mental hospital where you, know, you, you um, uh, yeah, uh, we have a theme. Um, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jenny. Thank, thank you, guy. Thank you, guy. Bye, you guys.